morning, everyone. Sorry, that's a habit. After morning. Uh, I'll start by saying uh, maybe something that's going on in, in Charlotte and I's life. Uh, we're going to Northern Ireland on Wednesday. Um, yeah. And uh, I don't know if most of you will know that Charlotte's also 35 uh, weeks pregnant as well. And uh, I'm freaking out. But uh, <laughs> that's our plan. Um, Apparently, it's called a, a baby moon, and you're meant to try and uh, get away because uh, once you have kids, your life changes forever. <laughs> so <laughs> that's our plan. Um, and when we've been getting ready for this pregnancy, we've been thinking, um, you're trying to plan ahead, right? And we're meeting with the midwife, like, do you, should we go to Kendall or Lancaster? Should we, uh, should we get an epidural? Should we not? Should we you know, do a water birth thing or not? All this kind of stuff that you're planning ahead of time. And, uh, and the reason we plan ahead of time is obviously because when the moment comes and all this stuff's going on, um, you kind of want to know what's going to happen, right? You want to be in a bit of control so that when that moment comes, we're not uh, seeming like everything's going crazy. And, and, oh, poor Charlotte, she's put up with a lot of my worries. I've had quite a few moments of like, we're not going, we're not going. But that's where we're at. We are going on Wednesday. And I'm worried. <laughs> I'm, wor- I'm worried because I want to be in control. I'm worried because I want to be in control. And for me uh, and for us, knowing ahead of time what's going to come gives us that security that, you know, we will be provided for. We can know what's going to happen. And I wonder if it's right, right of me to feel that way, to feel worried about, you know, knowing everything that's going to happen when the baby comes. Um, and maybe a broader question for us as well of should, should a Christian ever be worried about circumstances? Should a Christian ever feel anxious about the future? Because if we're being honest, I'm one of them. The world today is full of anxious people, full of anxious people. And I think if we look back at the last year and a half that we've had, we don't have to think very hard to see how worried we can be. We can be so worried about our, uh, our circumstances because we're dependent. We're dependent creatures. We have needs. We have needs. We need to be healthy. We need to have food and water and shelter and clothing, all these things. Because God, God has made us dependent. If you think about this before we dig into the passage, we c- you could think God could have made us self-sustaining. He could have made it so that we didn't need anything that we could just be. But he's not. He's made us dependent. And so when we get into this passage here, what Jesus is talking about, about worrying and provision and that kind of stuff, remember, this is because God has initiated it to be that way. That's the order of things. That we are dependent creatures. Uh, If you turn to Matthew 6, keep it in front of you, uh, that would be great. Um, And in this passage, Jesus addresses anxiety. Uh, He addresses anxiety and provision. He says, "No No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other, for you cannot serve God and money. And just before that as well, Jesus has said, hasn't he? He's talked about treasure on earth versus treasure in heaven, and also kind of where our eyes, if our eyes are healthy, if we're looking at the light or not. And from that, those points that Chris taught us last week, he then says, therefore. 
So if we try and separate out verse 24 and verse 25 like they're two different chunks of text, that's a really bad idea. Because the whole reason Jesus says, do not be anxious, is because of the therefore of what I've just said. And so he says, you cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. And so somehow, serving uh, God and not money, and somehow looking at light, not darkness, and having treasure in heaven, not on earth, is linked to worry, directly linked. And I think that the point that Jesus is making here, early doors, is that if we are anxious, if we do find ourselves worrying about provision, worrying about food, clothing, uh, all that kind of stuff, it's because... Somewhere in those verses 19 to 24, we've not done that. If we are worrying about provision, Jesus is saying, then there is something wrong with our treasure, with our eyes, with whom we're serving. And so if you find yourself in the coming weeks worrying about provision, then you've got to think, don't, don't maybe don't say to yourself, don't worry, but think where is my treasure? Who do I serve? That will be the thing that Jesus wants us to ask if you find yourself worrying. That might be, in some respects, the antidote to worrying. Now, I want, uh, I want you to try and imagine uh, how, how you think the disciples would have taken this. Because Jesus is doing this big sermon. He's gone through loads of different stuff. We're quite far into the Sermon on the Mount now, and he's addressing what his kingdom is going to be like and what people in that kingdom should be like. And this is in that context. And when the disciples hear this, the disciples will have heard this very differently than we hear it. The disciples and the crowds listening on the mountain would have heard this bit of teaching here differently than we would have heard it because their circumstances were completely different than ours. So the disciples, if you think about it, uh, a lot of them were like fishermen, um, stuff like that. That culture at that time was the disciples, they, or the fishermen in some respects, they would go out, they'd get fish, hopefully, they would come back, sell the fish, go and buy some food for the next day, and that's it. And it's a very, it was a very much day-to-day cycle. They didn't have a, a Tesco where they could buy three weeks' worth of food and stick it in the freezer. They, didn't, they, they couldn't do that. So when the disciples hear this bit at the beginning don't worry about this kind of stuff. There's probably a mix for them. One of, one of comfort, thinking, hey, that's good news, right? Because like, we're, we're, the disciples, they're constantly thinking, like, what are we going to eat tomorrow? So they're probably finding comfort, but also a little bit of probably fear as well. Like, well, you're saying to us, don't worry, but you know, what happens if, if we don't worry and then it, we don't get fed? So there's probably those two thoughts they're wrestling with. And Jesus then, he backs up this statement, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. And, and, and he says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And then he backs it up with two examples, two examples, and you'll have spotted that in the passage. They're pretty, pretty obvious to find. Uh, and we'll just look at why, why Jesus uses these examples, how these examples relate to worry and provision. Um, and so number one, Number one, let's read that first example again. It says, look at the birds of the air. 
They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And so there's actually quite a few reasons in this, in this passage why Jesus says, don't worry. Uh, did you, could you spot, there's actually three. There's three reasons just from this example of why we shouldn't worry. I wonder if you spotted those. First one, the first one, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. So the reason Jesus uses birds as, as a specific example is that you cannot, uh, the birds, sorry, birds cannot store for themselves food. Birds are completely dependent every day on, on God providing food for them. Like they cannot, um, as we do, go to the shops and buy two weeks worth of food. They, they can only get enough for that day. They are, they are so dependent on the daily provision of food. They don't gather into barns. And if they don't, eat, if they don't find food that day, the birds, they don't eat. And Jesus is pointing that out. And then he goes on to say, in verse 26, and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Your heavenly father feeds them. And so if, uh, think about this practically, because uh, I think this addresses uh, a misconception we might have when we read these verses that, you know, if God's going to provide for us, we don't really need to do anything like food will show up. You know, we don't need to work. We don't need to make any money and stuff like that. But think about this practically. Do the birds just sit in their nests and wait for the food to come to them? No. The birds go out and get the food. So the birds still work. So don't take this as, uh, let's, let's just uh, sit at home and someone will show up with some food for us, because it's not what that is saying. But he is saying that even though the birds go out and they find food, it is ultimately God who provides that food. It's ultimately God who provides that food. And, that's, and that is definitely true for us as well. We work. We work for money so we can go to the shops, buy food, all that kind of stuff. Some of you just don't even go to the shops. You just kill the, kill the lamb and eat. Um, <laughs> uh, fair play. Um, but ultimately, ultimately, the reason we pray before we eat is because we believe in Jesus' teaching here that we we are provided for by God. And even if, you know, you can trace all the steps of, well, I, went, I did my job, I got my paycheck, I went to the shops, here it is. It's God. It is God who's provided that. Okay? And then, number three, it says God, uh, we are more important to God than birds. We're more important to God than birds. And it's quite straightforward that if he feeds birds, he will feed his children as well. Uh, there's actually a, a really interesting parallel with this example of the birds being fed. Uh, can you think of a, a passage in the Old Testament where uh, people had to go out and get food every day? Fresh? Yeah. Uh, when, they left it, when they left Egypt? How did God feed the Israelites when they're going on, uh, out of Egypt? It was every day with manna, wasn't it? They go out, they get enough food for the day. And do you, know, do you remember the story of what happens when people would take too much? They try and take for the next day. And uh, that food rotted, didn't it? Because God was teaching the Israelites a lesson there that, you know, you can be completely dependent on me for food, for provision, and I will not fail you. And that's exactly the same point Jesus is making here with the birds. That, you know, and I'm not saying it's bad practice then to have a fridge of food. That's not the point. But the point is, is that we can trust him. We can trust him to provide for us. We can trust him to provide for us. 
And then there's the second example, the second example with the, the lilies, or some translations say flowers. Um, it says, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And it's a similar, it's a similar example to the birds, but this time not with food, but with clothing. The, uh, the birds cannot store for themselves food. They can't provide for themselves tomorrow just for the day. In the same way, the lilies cannot make themselves clothes. It says they don't toil or spin. All the lilies can do is be clothed. They cannot clothe themselves. They can only receive clothing from God. And it says God clothes them. And that, that verse again, and maybe this would be a helpful way to think about it, because it says again, and how much more will God clothe you? It's, it's kind of like, uh, for me, if I have food um, and I choose to feed the dog and not Charlotte. Um, that, do you know what I mean? Like It's that idea that like Charlotte is infinitely more valuable to me than my dog. Why would... Uh, why, why, why would I choose to feed the dog, not Charlotte? It's the same thing, right? So Jesus is saying, you know, if you look out into the fields and you see the lilies, you see the, the flowers and the birds, like surely God will, will do it for you. Much more than that. And then he goes, and in this example as well, the second example, we've got Solomon. Um, and it's a really interesting analogy because uh, part of me thinks Jesus, when he's saying this, is like thinking back. He remembers what Solomon looked like in his glory. Um, but we've got an example where he compares the lilies and Solomon. And I think sometimes um, we, get, we get this idea that would be a, a misconception, that uh, if you have a lily and you have a picture of Solomon, that the lily is just infinitely more beautiful than Solomon. That you know, if you looked at Solomon with all of his glory and his robes and all that, that he, it does like pales in comparison to the, the, the flower in the field. But I don't think that's what Jesus is getting at. It's not a visually aesthetic thing. Because when we look at it in the context of the passage, what is Jesus talking about? He's talking about provision. And so if we look at this example here, uh, even Solomon was not arrayed like one of these. Well, how was Solomon clothed? How was Solomon clothed? So Solomon, he, you know, and we know that God provides for us, but Solomon kind of went above that as well. You know, we have what we need. We need clothes. But Solomon in all his glory had all the extra stuff as well. And so there's a combination almost of Solomon was clothed, not just by God, but he also kind of got a lot for himself as well. He went from not just what he needed to what he wanted. How are the lilies clothed? Just God. That's the comparison. The lilies are clothed just by God. Solomon was clothed not only by God, but also by himself and all of his, his uh, wants and desires. So the point this is making, uh, this is like the opposite point from the first example. The first example is saying, you know, don't, don't, don't just not work and take it easy and think God's going to provide. This next example is saying, don't, over, don't overdo it. Don't overdo it. And it's, it's saying, the lilies are beautiful. The lilies are beautiful because they're clothed by God alone. And this idea that dependence to the Lord, dependence is more beautiful than being independent. 
And so two things these examples show us. Don't just not work, but also don't try and go above and beyond to think to get all the riches and all the glory that God says we don't need it. It's his. It's his glory. We don't need it. And actually, the New Testament points out a lot of times how uh, the way that we are uh, beautiful to the Lord is, is on the inside, on the inside. And so because of that, Jesus says, therefore, because of the birds, because of the lilies, therefore, don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Don't be anxious. And, and then he goes on to say, for the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So this verse actually kind of says maybe what, what underpins, underpins this whole line of reasoning. Do you remember how I said uh, at the beginning, you know, what the disciples were probably thinking, like, how do you know 100% that God's going to feed us? This is the verse that underpins it. This is the verse that underpins this whole idea that when we put our treasure in heaven, that we serve God, not money, and we stop worrying, we be, will be fed. This is the idea that pins that. It says, For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. Our heavenly Father knows what we need. What we need. And so God knows, he knows. And if you've got like a, a bill that you're worrying about paying or you're not sure how, you, you know, maybe I've not got the money in so I'm maybe not going to be fed tomorrow. It's saying God, God knows that. He knows that. He knows our circumstances. He knows our situations we're in. He knows our thoughts, how we start spinning in our head when we start to worry. He knows and, and, the, and the, the, it's not just that he knows, but what does the verse say? If you look closely, how does it describe God when it says he knows? It says, your heavenly father knows. And so it's not just that he knows, but it's the fact that he is a heavenly father who knows. Uh, I have a story. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, it was like sports practice four, four days a week after school, uh, Often you'd be going to school quite like maybe a couple minutes before it started and stuff. And, and sometimes, more often than I'd like to admit, I forget my PE kit. Uh, and that, it, on, when I was 15, 16, that was a big deal. I did not want to miss sports practice. Uh, and, uh, I, you know, in some respects, I only went through the day to get to sports practice. And then when you forget, when you forget your PE kit, you're like, oh, no. Like, <laughs> uh, I've wasted my day. And uh, I'd be like worrying, spit, be spinning around in my head. Um, and I go to the office after school because we only lived like a, a minute from school, two minutes from school. And I go to the office and say, uh, oh, can I call my parents? Because, you know, you know they, could, they could bring my clothes for me. And they, were all, they always love to do that. Uh, but every, <laughs> every once in a while, every once in a while, there'd be, there'd be a bag there with my name on it with my clothes <laughs> and mum and dad knew what I needed and provided before I even had to do anything right and when we hear this idea that the he our heavenly father knows what we need what is a father's instinct it's to provide right his instinct is to provide for us and so when we when you hear this underpinning of all this idea we shouldn't worry we can let go of that it's because we have a heavenly father whose instinct 
is to provide for us. His instinct is to provide for us. He loves to provide for us. It's how, again, going back to the example way at the beginning, it's how he set it up. He set it up so that he can provide for us. He wants to do that. So we can have confidence knowing that we have a heavenly father who wants to provide for us. And so, you know, that's really easy to understand, isn't it? And uh, we nail this all the time. You know, we never worry. Uh, Unfortunately, not. And uh, as I've, you know, as I've reflected on this passage and these truths, I often find myself falling short because I just forget. I just forget. I forget that there are birds out there being fed. I forget that the lilies are clothed. I forget that we have a heavenly father who knows what I need. I just forget. And it's kind of like when that happens, when you forget, it's like you're kind of chained, um, chained to, to your worry. And, you know, you've got this worry of like, what's, how am I going to be pre- provided for? And you're looking at it. And even if you're trying to like think, no, 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 I, you know, I want to look this way. I want to look at treasure and, and serve God. You're kind of chained to it. You can't really get anywhere. And ultimately you end uh, with a worry, just kind of yanking on the chain, hoping that you can make it go away. But, and, and it just, and we just think, we just start to, in that moment, that chain pulling moment, think the promises of money, the promises of, of uh, money being able to provide for us with focus, focusing on it, that we get so sucked into, hey, if I just had a little bit more money, you know, I'll be, I'll be more secure, you know. Like, we're doing all right at the moment, but if we just had a bit more, then, hang on a sec, you know, I don't have to worry about this. Because if I just had, you know, a little bit more money, I'm safe. And that is a lie. That's a lie that we believe really, really quickly. Because we don't want to be dependent on, our instinct, our sinful nature is that we don't want to be dependent on God. And it is, it is that comparison, is it? The pagans, the pagans seek after it. And the whole, the whole sermon here is, we're not to be like them. We're meant to be salt and light. We're meant to be different, distinct. And, I, you know, why do we doubt God's provision? Um, if you look at the end of verse 30, I think there's a really good little phrase that Jesus adds here to help us see why we sometimes forget this stuff. End of verse 30, it says, O you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. That phrase, oh, you of little faith, comes up four times in the New Testament. Um, and you can probably think of it, the, the, the most well-known one would be when Peter sinks in the waves. Jesus says, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And then he pulls him out. Um, and there's another really interesting example, oh, you of little faith. Um, and it's actually to do with food and provision as well. So I thought I'd mention it. Matthew 16, Matthew 16, uh, starting in verse 5. Matthew 16, verses, starting in verse 5, it says, When the disciples reached to the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. So you can see how this is kind of almost related to, to this passage about food. And, and Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, because he, he knows, he knows our needs, he says, O you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? 
Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? So we've got, again, you know, and this is a clear example here. The disciples are worrying about provision. The disciples are worrying about provision. What's the first thing Jesus says to them? You have little faith. Do you not remember? Do you not remember? And, you know, and just before, literally just before this as well, he fed the four and the 5,000. And the disciples are focusing on the material. They're focusing on the material possessions. Um, and then what, what do they do when they focus on the material possessions? What do they forget? Treasure in heaven. They forget. They take their eyes off of where we should be focused and they put them on the worry, on the material possession. There's a quote from um, Alistair Begg, who I only learned about last week from Chris. So I watched one of his sermons on this, and he has a really nice quote that I thought I'd read. It says, at the heart of it all, anxiety is rooted in trying to care by myself for that which only God can do. Worry, worry reigns in our lives when we think or act as if something is ultimately up to me rather than up to God. And it has to do with the desire to control things. I'll just read that again, because I think it's a really good summary. It says, at the heart of it all, anxiety is rooted in trying to care by myself for that which only God can do. And worry reigns in our lives when we think or act as if something is ultimately up to me rather than up to God. And it has to do with the desire to control things. And so that can be our situation. Who in the Bible never, who in the Bible do we very, who in the Bible do we never see worry? Jesus. And I did look for it. I tried to find a place where he worried. And the closest I got was Gethsemane. And that wasn't worrying about provision. That was worrying about the fact that he was about to be separated from his father for the first time in eternity. Slightly different scale. Uh, But Jesus, he really didn't worry. He really didn't worry about food. And Jeremy says the son of man has no place to lay his head. He didn't worry. He didn't worry. What did, that, what did that not being changed then to that free Jesus up to do? What do we see characterizes Jesus' life, his ministry? Well, Jesus does exactly what the next verse says, verse 33. This is, this is something that completely characterized Jesus. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And we see that Jesus, when he, he's not, he didn't worry about material provision. He remembered that he has a heavenly father who knows what he needs. So what did he do? With everything, in everything, Jesus sought first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In everything. And that is the challenge for us, isn't it? That's the challenge for us. That we, like Jesus, are to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And maybe if you've ever wanted a really clear verse, like a standard, like this is what Jesus wants me to do verse, this is a good one. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Maybe if, maybe if you hear those words, seek first his kingdom, and your mind goes to, your mind goes to like, maybe then I should like serve in church a bit more and stuff like that. Um, but I don't think that, that's versus, that this is what that verse is saying. Um, the seek first the kingdom, 
is not just like a seek first his kingdom by like serving more in church and stuff like that. The seek first his kingdom is like a, you're seeking first his kingdom in everything you do. So for example, if you're going to work, if you're going to work, do that in a way that shows you have Jesus as king. If you're going to have dinner with someone, do that in a way that shows you have Jesus as king. That question, or that phrase, sorry, that Jesus is king, that should be the first thought in your mind in whatever you do. How can I do whatever I'm doing to show that Jesus is king in my life and in the kingdom of God? If you're, if you're listening and you don't know Jesus, you don't believe in him, um, this, this passage, Jesus is saying, life is more than just Life is more than just physical stuff. Life is more than just physical stuff. It's more than just existing and providing for daily needs. There's a greater purpose for you to find in your life. And Jesus is calling you today to follow him, to follow him. And to find that purpose, that there is an eternal kingdom that Jesus is teaching on here, where by his power, we can be free from worry. You can find purpose, eternal value. And if you follow him, you'll have a heavenly father who knows everything, everything you need. And so the, 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 the logic here is, the logic here is, if we uh, set our hearts on heavenly treasure, if we put our eyes on the light, if we serve God, not money, we don't have to worry. And if we don't worry, we can then seek first his kingdom. We can then seek first. It's so crucial what Chris said last week. Like, where is your treasure? So, so, cru- so crucial. And if you don't, it, maybe if you're sitting here and you don't care that much about seeking first his kingdom, maybe it's just not a thought that comes to your mind very often. You like don't think, how can uh, what I do today do it in a way that seeks first his kingdom? If you don't think that, I want you to ask yourself, where's, where's my treasure? Where's my treasure? Who do I serve? Remind yourself it should be the Lord. And let Jesus' words convince you here that a greater treasure leads to a life free from worry and free to seek for something that really, really matters, his kingdom and his righteousness. And then last thing for us as a church, um, and I was actually thinking about this last night with our, with our meetings and stuff, right? This passage uh, and Jesus is really cool in how he times, times certain stuff to come up. Uh, we've just met uh, yesterday about needs for our congregation. Just met about needs for a bigger space. What is this passage saying to us then as a church right now about those needs? It's saying, don't worry. Our Heavenly Father knows, He knows that we need more space. He knows it. Don't worry. He knows it. If he can feed every bird on this planet, clothe every lily on this field, he can give us here in Arkham, in Cape and Ray, more space. He can do it. Let's not, in this, these coming weeks, forget that our focus, we need to seek first the kingdom of God. Don't seek the need. Don't seek the need. He knows we need it. Seek the kingdom. And God, what does it say in, in verse uh, 33? It says, uh, um, and these things will be added to you. 
So a takeaway for us at this moment for the next couple months is don't uh, focus on the need. He knows we need. Focus on, the, focus on seeking his kingdom, and that will come. It will come. We can trust that we have a heavenly father who knows what we need. Uh, let me pray. Father, I thank you that you know what we need. Thank you that you have promised here that you will provide for us. Father, I pray for us as a congregation that as we go about these next couple months, we don't focus on material provision. We focus on your kingdom, seeking your kingdom, your righteousness. May we as a congregation be increasingly having our treasures in heaven, increasingly focusing our eyes on the light, increasingly serving you, not money. And I thank you that it's your spirit's power in us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.